Hello and welcome to Pre-Published. I'm Sophia. In this episode, I talk to Sarah Woolley about writing for radio. Sarah's plays about real characters and moments in history are regulars on Radio 3 and Radio 4 on the BBC. This year, she won a BBC Audio Drama Award for her adaptation of Black Water by Joyce Carol Oates. Her career has included a stint as a staff director at the National Theatre, and she's worked with Trevor Nunn, Stephen Daldry and Harold Pinter, as well as writing and directing plays of her own. What I've always admired about Sarah is her professionalism. She writes to commission and always has several projects on the go. I'm really looking forward to her next play, Rogers and Hart and Hammerstein, set on Broadway, which will be broadcast on Radio 3 on the 27th of December. Do catch it if you can. There's a link to it in the show notes. I'm fascinated by the whole writing process, from which playwrights inspire her and why, to how she gets a commission and why star parts matter when constructing a radio play. I also wanted to know what aspiring writers for radio and TV can do to get their foot in the door. Broadcasters want talent. How do you make sure you're the talent they're looking for? We recorded this episode in December 2020. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to Prepublished. Thank you for having me. We've known each other for a while now, and our kids go to school together. That's how we know each other. Um, and I was thrilled to discover that you are a radio playwright, and, and you write for TV as well. Um, so a little bit different for me. And I'm interested to know how you came to it. Okay, so I, well, I went to um, RSAMD in Scotland, which is now the Royal Scottish Conservatoire. And while I was there, I uh, started out as a theatre director. And that's what I kind of did towards the end of my year. And I kind of launched myself into the world as a theatre director. And I did that for about seven years up in Scotland. And then I moved to London in about 1997. And I carried on doing that for a while. And then uh, what happened was that I had a project an idea for a project that I wanted to do and I wanted to get a writer on board yeah. to do it with me and I got this writer on board and then they suddenly became unavailable <laughs> and I thought oh god I can't really go in the process of being somebody who kind of uh with an idea like that goes around then fishing for other writers really yeah um and because I'd had a lot of experience as a director, I kind of felt, oh, I knew that process was quite a long process when you found a writer and then you have to go and sort of find another writer. It felt like it was a bit of a big deal. Yes. So um, I decided I'd try and write the project myself. <laughs> <laughs> and and presumably you you really understood the structure of plays inside and out. So a lot of the things that I would have struggled with would have come naturally to you, I guess, in terms of pacing it and and um, making sure you've got the right number of people on stage and all that kind of thing? Yeah, I think what what you learn from... And I was an assistant director for a lot of my time as a director, so I'm saying I was a director. I was mainly, you know, as well as doing my own stuff, I was also um, bigger director's assistant. So I've worked with, you know, uh, Trevor Nunn and um, Stephen Daldry and Di Travis and Peter Gill and people like that. So I was in rehearsals with those people. You were at the National Theatre for a I while. I was a staff director at the yeah. National Theatre. <laughs> and as a staff director at the National Theatre, a very, very specific job in that you, you're in, you're really in charge of the uh, understudy company. 
Yes, so they okay. have a big understudy company at the National. So that they, because they can't cancel shows if somebody's off, you know, somebody has to go on. Yes. And your job, it's quite a technical job. You're, you're really, your job really starts after the director's left the show because directors leave the show once the play is pressed. Okay. So they've gone, they go off to some, somewhere else to do another job. And it's you who then keeps the show on the road while the show is in rep. Oh, I see. No, so they've created their work of art and, and yeah. now you are and just making sure it happens. Yeah, and so you have to watch the show at least once a week. You have a special director's box at the back of the Olivier. And you yeah. watch the show and then um, and then you note it. And also if a play has gone out of rep and it has to come back, you're the one who takes the rehearsal to get that in. Or if someone's off... The stage manager phones you and says, you know, X is off and this yeah. person's going on. And what you inevitably find, and this is why you need a staff director, is that what happens is you have this sort of knock-on effect. So uh-huh. if one person's off, you've got somebody else covering someone else and then someone else and then someone else. Yes. <laughs> and so you have this massive knock-on. And so you have to have sort of have worked all of that out uh, beforehand and you then rehearse those people into those slots. Um, but so a lot of the time in rehearsals... Um, it depends who you're working with. Sometimes your opinion uh, may be sought, and at other times <laughs> it's not. <laughs> and so you have a lot of time to sort of absorb the play, yes, as it yeah, were. Sure you do. Much more than probably anybody else, and maybe stage management as well. Um, but you have a lot of time to absorb the play as a whole, and uh, it kind of gets under your skin. And so I was able to do uh, so that you sort of learn sort of by osmosis, really. So sort of something yes. kind of comes over you, and you sort of learn about structure uh and dialogue through having been in lots and lots of rehearsals yes and you you know about high points and low points and we're just talking about midpoints and the sense of of how to keep the audience engaged yeah yeah and also you learn I mean something I really learned from having been a director first was um how to write star part okay so that that's something that you know you you it's good if you've got a big star part that an actor will be interested in wanting to be in. That's interesting. Yes. You know. I'm starting to think of that with um, with my books at the moment mm. because, you know, everyone's saying, oh, who's, you know, who would you love to be the queen and that kind of thing. But also thinking about other parts and it's exactly that is I'm, I'm just very tuned now to actors saying why they chose something. And so often they say they love it when a part is really three-dimensional three and mm-hmm. quite hard to get your head around to start with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're often asked, well, doesn't that make it very difficult for you? And they always say, well, like Gillian Anderson yesterday was talking about playing uh, Margaret Thatcher in The mm-hmm. Crown. And that's what she loved about it was that it was it had its real sort of challenges. Yeah, who's, so, who's not going to want to play Margaret? Well, <laughs> no, maybe exactly. maybe there are people who would want to play Margaret Thatcher, but it's kind of a kind of iconic part, isn't it? So it's, it's, it's kind of thinking about those big roles and I also worked in box office so I knew what sold yes as well you know I knew what did well and what didn't do well and so you have an idea of commercially what works um, as well from having been in that world I think and what did do well and what didn't well I worked in box office when art was on do you remember art? I do I saw it yes and so that was, it was very that that's the one about the white the um, white painting the white painting yeah. yes and that was very funny gift that kept on giving because you could kind of kind of have those keep recasting those parts because it was just three men wasn't it three men but you've kept recasting it and you can just keep recasting it recasting recasting it um with comedians and whatever yes you know so you so if i I think of that that's the ones that i really remember also i remember selling tickets for play at the don mar which had david morrissey in it and i can't remember who else is and that did very very well 
again of three-hander but you you kind of got the sense that you know there were juicy parts and there were things that that people would want to sort of be in really interesting that you're coming at it from that point of view um because I'm sure many listeners who are thinking perhaps about Mm. writing for writing screenplays Mm. and I mean it crosses our minds at some stage um will be coming from perhaps having written novels and then Mm. going that way and you're very much coming from the other direction aren't you from from having sort of seen the bones of a play and seen Mm. yes all the production problems Mm. and um and as you say I mean something perhaps we wouldn't think of you have to persuade actors to want to be in it which is a really really (laughs) fascinating aspect of it um and and it's mostly writing for radio that you've done since yes yes I've had I mean I write for tv uh but that's mainly sort of having projects that are in development and but uh, yeah it's it, my, my, my main I'm my main job is to write for radio so I want to talk about your your latest play in a minute but first of all I'm interested to know do you have gurus when it comes to writing um it, and it, that could be playwrights or indeed actors who've given you advice or writers on writing but yes and people who come to mind so I know when I first started out writing, and I started out writing for theatre because that felt it was the closest thing to where I'd been from, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I'd been a theatre director and then I started writing plays for the theatre. So I read a lot. I mean, at one point I was reading a play a day, I remember right? that. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, wow. And I remember when I got stuck on things... Arthur Miller, those big four plays, okay. you know. Yes. Always going back to those, especially all my sons, you know. Um, in terms of inspiration and he just does it really, really well. <laughs> he's just brilliant at dialogue, he's brilliant at structure, he's brilliant at stakes, he's brilliant at that get in at the latest point, get out at you know, yes. all of that stuff. Yes, I remember that. I did do a screenwriting course um, years and years ago for um, Elliot Gove, who did the Raindance Festival. And that was very much his big thing was getting in late, which I apply to novel writing and chapter mm-hmm. writing as much as I can. It's really, really useful. And he's, he, yeah, he's brilliant at that, I think. Um, and who else? I mean, I read, when I started to write, I did read a few books. I think John York's book's good. Yes. Yes. Into the woods. Into the woods. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I still use that. On my wall are those the ten questions and all of that. Yes, are they? Yeah. Okay, they're on the wall. I don't probably apply them when I'm writing, but yeah. what afterwards are a good checklist. Oh yes. You know, you can yeah. go. Did I get that? Did I hit all those points? And sometimes if you get stuck, it's really good for that. That's kind of how I use those things as well. Yeah. But I'm really interested that your your first thought was to read actual plays. Um, and I know that when I've I've got a lot of students, I I try and encourage them to actually read the kind of thing that they want to write and not just read people who write about it, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, and sometimes, you know, I'll have a student who's, who's struggling but and who doesn't, so, you know, often it's children's books, mm. um, and who doesn't read books for the age group that they want to write for. And I'm sort of thinking, well, if you find those things boring or unengaging, how are you going to write a great one if you're not sort of hoovering them up? Um, and you do learn a lot by osmosis, don't you? you do get? I, I mean, I think I get the biggest um, ideas about structure um, from from just having, for example, with writing crime now, from just having read mm. endless Agatha Christie's and Dorothy Sayers and all the Golden Age crime ones that I 
I read. But when you, so when you're reading, let's say Arthur Miller, do mm. you consciously, or did you then, mm. but you don't now, but did you consciously take it apart? Because I know some people do this and say on, on page 20, he does this mm. kind of thing. And on page 40, he does that kind of thing. Or did you just, just read the whole thing and see how it settled? I think read uh, the whole thing and see how it, you know, I think things like, you know, a third act climax or something like that, yeah. you know, or uh, I think in all my sons, he has that, he's very good. The, the protagonist is very clear, things like that. It's all of those kind of lessons that you learn and how information, he's very good at drip, drip, drip information. You know, you have one idea of a character at the very beginning and by the end of it, it's completely different, isn't it? Yes. Your idea of, a, of yes. who that character is is completely different. And I love that so much. Yeah. I th- and, and I think, I mean, now I still read screenplays all the time. So yeah. every year, just before the Oscars, you know that they publish the screenplays that are up for Oscar. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. So they publish them online right. and you can find them and they're only available for so long, but you can go, there's various different websites you can get it from, uh, educational purposes only. <laughs> and um, you can read them and they are really helpful. Yeah. Because you can you can read them and you can see what works and then you can, obviously you can watch the film and you can... You know, you can compare. And I think that's really helpful. If I get stuck sometimes, if I'm kind of like, oh, God, I've got to write this thing. I sometimes read other people's stuff just to get me in the headspace. Yes. So, you know, just a bit of somebody's screenplay or something, just to kind of get you thinking in that way and get you thinking. Because when you're writing for radio, I write... So I, I see writing for radio, it's it's totally different from writing for TV. It's totally different, again, from writing for theatre, which they're all so different. Yeah. But writing for radio is closest to writing for film, funnily enough. Right. So yeah. I know Orson Welles used to call it, I think it's, oh, is it film for the mind or something like that? Yeah. Or, or movies for the mind, I think <laughs> right. it is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's the closest thing to that. Uh, so reading other people's screenplays is actually really useful. Read, 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 read. That's Stephen King, isn't it? <laughs> that Stephen King book's really good, actually. Yes, I'm writing. Oh, it's brilliant, yeah. isn't it? Yes. And he just yes. says, oh, I read like 36 books a week. <laughs> <laughs> I read like one and a half. Yeah, he's standing in the queues or whatever when he goes shopping. He doesn't get his iPhone out. He gets a book out. Yeah. So I think that's quite good advice, really. Just all of that reading. Yeah, so John York's book. Have you, you haven't read Save the Cat, have you? That's no, I haven't read it. No, oh, that's that's very funny. Save um, the Cat. Yes, 42 beats that you've got to hit. Um, and of course, you, you have to get the audience on side by making the hero say the cat very early on. Um, or something like that. <laughs> I tell <laughs> so you what's really good, actually, about part of um, something that I find really useful being a writer and took great comfort from are the Simon Gray books. Do you know those? Mm. The Smoking Diaries and um, no. Enter the Fox and all of those. Right. So Simon Gray was um, a playwright and he's dead now, but he was very, he was best friends with Harold Pinter, who obviously is probably the most successful <laughs> playwright. Yeah, post-war playwright. And he's, he's successful, Simon Gray, but he's not Harold Pinter. And they go for lunch sort of every week. And right. Harold's doing really well and Simon's trying to get his plays on and it's... Oh, were they were they on the radio a, f- a couple of years ago? Well, he's been dead for a while now, so... I wonder whether somebody was reading that out. While I was having the idea for my latest yeah. series, I was listening to... I've got, it's really vivid now. In the room where I was, I was sort of planning out the series, mm-hmm. 
I was listening to this thing about somebody, yes, talking about having lunch with Harold Pinter on a daily basis. So it must have been him. Okay. <laughs> yes. And he's sort of Harold Pinter's friend. And he's trying to get his, well, he does get his plays on. He's successful. Yeah. But he's not as successful as Harold, you know. And there's um, just everything in life that can happen to somebody having their work on or not on happens to Simon Gray throughout his life. Yes. So all the worst things that can happen, like he, you know, he has a, he, he has a play on, a, on Broadway in one of the books and one of the actors is really bad and they all have to, and nobody will sack this actor and Simon's like, but he's ruining my play. And it, it's just, it, it's all of those things that actually is really useful in that someone has been there before you in terms of the process of getting stuff on and has had a worse time than you yes. have. <laughs> and so it's incredibly comforting yeah. to read that stuff. Um, and I recommend it to anybody who's ever had their work on to read Simon Gray. Oh, wonderful. Okay, well, now you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's partly what this podcast is for, in a way, is for people who are going through the process of submitting books. Mm. Um, yeah, that's rarely straightforward. And it is to know that if it's taking you 10 years, well, it took me 10 years. I know exactly how that feels. Um, yeah, it does help one to kind of forge on, doesn't it, if you know that you're, you're not alone. And um, they're really and funny. Not. Oh, cool. Um, but here you are now, and I and I want to talk about Rogers and Hart and Hammerstein. Um, it's going to be on Radio 3 on the 27th of December, so shortly after this podcast goes out, I hope. Um, and I will be listening and probably cooking, because that's my favourite way of listening to radio plays, is mm-hmm. to be in the kitchen. I've got a really good radio in the mm-hmm. kitchen. Um, and doing something else, sort of pottering about as I listen. Um, what time of day is it going out, do you know? I don't. It's in the evening. Okay. Um, and so what will you be doing? Will you be listening? Do yeah, you listen to your listen own work? To I listen to it going out. I always listen to it going out. Yes. It sounds really different. So you get given, once you know, you've recorded something, you get given a version of it and you listen to it. But it sounds totally different when you hear it on the radio. It's bizarre. I don't know what happens. <laughs> but something happens in the process. Oh, okay. And it sounds just more, much more public. It's quite odd. Yes. Um I'm just fascinated by the whole process. Mm. So are you there during the recording? Yes, you are. And are you, I mean, I know that with with theatre plays, Mm. often the the playwright is changing it, sometimes quite Mm. a lot during the rehearsal Mm. process. Does that happen with radio plays as well? Okay, so I'll take you through what happens on the day of recording. So you turn up and you read through the play and there's probably a brief discussion about, actually, I'll go back. You read through the play and you just pray that it's on time right okay so that's the first thing okay is going yes. through your mind yes <laughs> is that is it long enough because the whole thing about radio is it has to be exactly the right length goodness yes so you have that going on so you do the reading and everybody sits around and you read it and then there's probably a short discussion and then you make it wow so the actors haven't rehearsed together no before no Limey. so this is all in a day so that's all in, uh, you. Uh, for a 45 minute, you have two days. Okay. For a 90 minute, you have three days. Now, when we did Rogers and Hart and Hammerstein, we actually had a day's rehearsal, which is, I've never had before. Oh my goodness. Never had before. And that's because of singing in it. Right. And because we were recording remotely, because we are <gasps> in COVID era. Oh, so it was recorded It was recorded recently. on Homewreck. Is that what it's called? Sorry if I've got that wrong. Uh, it's a recording thing that you do over, essentially, over, over online and you kind of do it all listening to each other at home so is this people in their wardrobes with studios yeah, around yeah them? or in their studios if they're 
you know, if they've got a studio. Yeah. I'm hearing that more and more people are building their home, own home studios now. And it's mm. actually going to be a slightly different world afterwards mm. because people are going to say, I don't need to go into a studio yeah. anymore. I think that is probably... Uh, it's definitely something that's going to happen. So interesting. Yeah. Happening with um, audiobooks as well, that, you know, audio narrators are, are sort of, yeah. if, if they're good at it, then, you know, got their own studio, yeah. they need to go anywhere. Yeah. How lovely. Yeah. Um, okay, so that must have been interesting. So what happens if two people have completely different ideas about how to do a scene and they come together and they've got sort of five minutes to sort it out? Uh, you, you're, well, you do... You you do each scene, so you rehearse each scene. You don't rehearse each scene, but you um you maybe do a read through of it and then you record it and right. you record. But you'll do takes. Okay. So you can do a take and then stop and then you'll go back and then the the, the director will give a few notes and maybe you contribute to that, and then they will take it and then the, then the director at the end will see which of the best takes there was and that will be the one that goes forward. Right. And given all your directing experience, are you ever the director? No. Okay. No. Would you want to be? No. Or are you quite happy not no, to be? No, I'm happy not to be. That's a completely different skill, especially in the radio. It's so technical. No, right. I couldn't do that. Um, and have you had any um, hand in the casting? Of the oh, yeah, yeah. On the day yeah. You so you do. So you have... You, de- you definitely have some hand in it. Uh, you know, you have your ideas of who you'd like, and then you have to see whether they're available. And if you're lucky, you get who you like. Um, but do you want me to talk about? It's probably worth talking about the rep, isn't it? Is do you it? know about the rep? <laughs> I don't. Okay, know so about there the is uh, an actors rep at the BBC, right. and they do everything. So they do the sort of you know those things um, where where it says an actor is now speaking the voice of the person on the news and things like that. Yes, yes, yes. So there is a group of actors, and they're all different ages, and they're all different genders, and. Uh, you know, from different backgrounds, and they all sort of are on contract to the I BBC. I did not know that. Yeah, and they also play lots of parts in your radio dramas. Right. Yes. So they they it's it's a rep of actors. How lovely. Yes. So you have someone who's you know in their fifties, and you have somebody who's and they there is a competition called I get this right the Carlton Hobbs competition, and uh, they that. Um, and the Norman Beaton competition, I think it's called, as well. And they recruit actors who are new to radio, and they they get a contract for a year or something, or six months, or whatever it is. Yeah. And they come in to, to do, they're the younger actors, they provide the younger actors. So, that's, so you have those actors, and then you have maybe three, maybe four actors from what we call, you know, sort of outside actors. So uh, actors who aren't within the rep. Yes. Uh, names that people might recognise, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we've talked before about the commissioning process, which again, I I had no idea was <laughs> as complicated as it was, because it's kind of the the opposite, really, of what we have as writers. So we have a world of publishing that. Mm. Well, that's not. Entire, I was about to say we have a world of publishing that doesn't know what it wants until it sees it, and it's up to us to think what that's going to be. It's not entirely true, is it? Because there are there are many many books that are commissioned within the publishing world, um, both fiction and non-fiction. But I'm thinking more about the sort of the more literary novels. So we we have to create something and then we send it off and we take that that absolute risk that it may not ever see the light of day um but you're feeding into a, a quite a sort of 
regulated process, aren't you? Because people have slots for the year ahead or whatever, yeah. and, and they're looking back down the line to mm. fill them. So, so do tell me a bit about that, because I think it's fascinating. So, uh, yeah, so there's what's called the commissioning round at BBC Radio 4 and at Radio 3. Now, I'm only talking about the BBC here. So obviously there's other avenues for your audio dramas. There's Amazon and various other uh, platforms that, that, that can be used. So I'm only talking about the BBC because that's the only experience I've had is yeah. how I work on at the BBC. But you, uh, they each have a round every year where, um, and it is producers that have to submit those ideas. You don't submit them as a writer. You submit your ideas to your producer or producers and they then take it to the commissioner and then it goes in with a bunch of other um, ideas and then the commissioner decides which ones they're interested in and then they'll come back to you and say right can you write a bit more on this or whatever and then you write a bit more on the idea and then they have a look and see whether they're going to commission it so the commission process starts in about I start thinking about what I'm going to do in sort of January February yeah and then maybe sort of by about February March April it's all done Okay. You've got all your ideas in and all of that, and then you find out usually July first week of August whether you've got com- what you've got commissioned. And how much have you written by then? How how much have you presented to them? Well, it would just be uh, a sort of hundred word kind of synopsis. Wow! So it really is is the the concept and and them imagining how how you might realise that. Yeah, for each one it's different. Um, because for Radio 3, I'm pretty sure you have to do slightly longer um, sort of... It's not a, It's not like TV where you do these great big kind of synopsis things. You know yeah. what I mean? Treatments. You don't do treatments. You yes. don't do treatments. Yes, it's so interesting. Yeah. And, and another thing that you were sort of explaining to me is that the, the different stations have different mm. lengths of drama. Yeah. And so it, it would be pointless... Uh, presenting I mean let, let me uh, uh, an hour long thing to radio three if it's an hour and a half or yeah. vice versa yeah. so that, that's kind of something that one needs to know yeah. I suppose yeah so how you, do you find that out if you're new to it well I mean if you listen if you go on radio yeah. if you go onto sounds and listen to a lot because anyone who wants to write for radio should li- be listening to them you know yeah um yeah. and there's loads on sounds you know and really uh, an afternoon drama is 45 minutes long but it's actually actually really it's 42 yes. with annos beginning and end and then uh, Radio 3 is 90 minutes, but that depends because sometimes that might be a stage play, so sometimes it's a little bit longer. So if they say they do um, Long Day's Journey tonight or something, yes. that's not 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so they're so able to extend exception. that slot. Yeah. Um, and, but for, I mean, Rogers and Hart and Hamstown, which I've just written for Radio 3, is 90 minutes. So I usually, and then you've got on a Saturday, you've got dramas which tend to be adaptations of a novel, and yes. they're an hour. Yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> so you kind of need to know your stuff as a writer, I guess, before you start, um, so that you know what kind of thing you're pitching, presumably they will expect Well, I think have an idea. It, I think it's quite unusual for somebody to get something on Radio 3 as your first. Uh-huh. That's, okay. That would be quite unusual, I think. I think... If you were starting out and you wanted to write for radio, you're aiming for that afternoon slot, the 45-minute afternoon slot. Uh-huh. 
And debut writers can get that. They can. And there's various different schemes that enable that. So going yes. on writer's room is really useful. And there's a few competitions. So I would go, that's your first port of call. The writer's room the website. The writer's room website yeah. is really good for all of that kind yes, of Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And Although the ironically, I got, <laughs> ironically, my first play was a slot, which used to be called the Friday play. Right. Which was at nine o'clock on a Friday on Radio 4. They don't, doesn't exist anymore. And that was an hour long slot. So, yeah, that would have been a nice thing to have. Nice thing for me to cook to as well, going back to my whole... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how I like to listen to these things. You, you could swear as well. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yes, I, when I was starting out in my, my 10 years of, um, of the wilderness, I spent a lot of time on the writer's room. And, and I did find it to be really sort of friendly, collaborative mm. place to be. Because, I mean, the BBC is looking for talent, isn't it? It wants to find it and it wants to nurture it and it wants to make things happen with it. So, yes, it's looking for you. <laughs> um, you just have to let it find you. Um, and I've, I've been looking back at the kind of things that you have written about. Um, and so there's this is about the theatre and you've written about the, the, the national sort of being created um, and I love um, festival about the Cheltenham festival and it was really interesting because I was just listening to it in the car actually and I hadn't caught the beginning of it uh, and I was so enjoying it and I thought oh here's, here's a group of people putting on an artistic endeavour together I wonder if this is one of Sarah's plays so I thought oh okay I've got what Sarah does and then um I listened to your award-winning play, Black Water, mm -hmm. which isn't about that at all. It's about something completely different. It's about Chappaquiddick mm -hmm. um, and a sort of fictionalised, imagined version. And that's from a novel. It's a it? Joyce Carol Oates novel, yeah. Yes. Um, so then I thought, oh, no, I don't know <laughs> what, what Sarah's thing is. Do you have a, a particular um, vein of thought that sparks your ideas or do you never know quite what you're going to do next? Uh, for radio, I think it's true stories, really. That would be, yes. you know, I'm, I'm, I have done original. When I first started out, obviously, I did original uh, radio dramas. So they were, uh, you know, made up stories, if you like, um, that came out of my head. Yeah. <laughs> came out of my imagination. Um, but then as I developed, I had a changing point. So I wrote a drama about John Osborne. Yes. Going on holiday, called A Nice Little Holiday. Mm -hmm. And all the complicated things. He goes on holiday with Tony Richardson and his girlfriend at the time, Justin Rickard. And they all go on holiday and Christopher Isherwood turns up and it's all mad and somebody tries to shoot them and it's all crazy stuff. And um, John Osborne wrote the famous letter, Damn You England, which right. he wrote. And um, from, you know, his uh, being on holiday in France, and it causes this big stir at home. It's all in the papers and it all kicks off. It's very funny. Um, and after that, I just sort of thought, I think I do this quite well. Okay. The sort of real people thing. Yes, you do. And um, so I just kept going. I just kept going. Radio through is quite very, it's quite a specific space you're thinking of. So you know, you you you're kind of thinking, well, what what do I want to go and and write about? Mm. And the hint was, well, we'd like something that's musical, really. Okay. That not not musicals, but about a composer. Yes, you know. And so I was thinking about that and I read an article, in, funnily enough, in Vanity Fair okay. about Rogers and Hammerstein writing South Pacific. Right. And I thought, oh, I wondered if there's anything in Rogers and Hammerstein. Not about South Pacific. I just thought, oh, that's interesting. I know their stuff, you know, 
really famous kind of you know musicals I thought they might be quite interesting we were talking about how many they've done so um Carousel you were mentioning and uh My Fair Lady no that's Learner and Low The King and I was Sound of Music Sound of Music Sound of Music is the so yeah so they did some biggies together Oklahoma Uh, and so I went away and I looked I started researching Richard Rogers particularly and I found this other story that wasn't anything to do with that period which is after where my story is set and so I uh, it's that's how I found that story really I then went digging and was like okay there's a story here about this man who was working with someone completely different first which is uh Lorenz Hart yes and he was he was his lyricist first and then he then goes on to work with Hammerstein and it's the story of how that evolved and that partnership then those two partnerships story of those two partnerships Yes. Okay. So I, I'm really interested. So you you had the the sense from the station of the sort of thing they wanted. You had the Vanity Fair article, but you didn't write what the Vanity Fair article was about. You, no, no, you then no, no, explored no. Yeah. a relationship that was more interesting. To yeah. You so the Vanity Fair article was literally just a oh, what about them? And then you go because I had no, you know, I didn't, I wasn't going to write that story. Yeah. Just those people, if you like. I mean, I should also say that I also sent another idea in there was another idea a completely different idea right and um they preferred that this idea yes so there was two ideas that went in <laughs> <laughs> yes i mean i um i think it's another useful thing that that people should know is that this can so often happen and and those moments can i mean if you're an unpublished person they they a lot can hang on them that you you go to someone with something uh, and they kind of say not that what else have you got mm-hmm. and usually I mean I, I found you know you, you haven't got something else because that was your thing that you've yeah. been working on for such a long time but it is incredibly handy to have other things that you can say well I could always do this I mean I, I always end up thinking of Alan Partridge and monkey tennis <laughs> I've, I've, I've been in those meetings yes so you don't want it to be monkey <laughs> tennis um but uh but it is it is interesting how often it is the, the second idea or the third idea that gets published and I, and I know from again people who've been in the times chicken house competition which is how I ultimately mm-hmm. got published that it, it is it's not the book that they entered into the competition necessarily that gets published later but it's another one that another idea that just gelled oh I mean my first play I you know didn't go on but it got uh, you know interest and then that led to I made the fatal error my first stage play of having it was a cast of thousands yes which no one's going to put that on (laughs) no you want to do art three people yeah exactly so I completely ignored all the advice I said about box office earlier on yeah but then I did write I wrote 300 and that went on yeah and so yeah, and then that felt. And funnily enough, I then that I did end up writing the screenplay version of that first play. Oh right, yeah. okay. Yeah, and it was commissioned by Channel Four. So th- you know, these things do come round again, don't they? Yes, yes. Nothing's ever wasted. Not ever wasted. Yes, it can be recycled into another project. Yeah. Or yeah, as you say, done in another form yeah. later on. Yeah. Um, but yes, but it, but your thing might not end up being your thing. It might end up being. Just the, the the stepping stone, yeah. Your thing, yeah. So I mean, it, I, I find that w- when we talk about what we're doing, it it does feel so different. You're working within a really quite strict schedule usually. Mm. You've got lots of things on the go, lots yeah. of things lined up. You know what you're going to be doing when. Mm. You know when your deadlines are. Mm. Um, much, and you have more of them than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and you have more of these kind of outside influences, producers and, and people who you might be collaborating with. I quite like the sound of that. It sounds more like a real job than my job. Um, do you do you enjoy that sort of that discipline side of it? You're obviously good at delivering on time, the right number of pages for the right number of minutes. Yeah, you have to be. Otherwise, you know, you, you things have got to get done, haven't they? And you've got these deadlines and you've got to meet them. You have a while, you know, when things get commissioned, it usually takes from the day you get commissioned to the day it goes out. It can be anything up to a year. Yeah. I mean, Rogers and Hart and Hamstein, I was still writing The National when I was sort of putting, pitching that, as it yes. were. Pitching's not the right word, but you know what I mean, handing that in. Yeah. Um, in terms of its shape and in terms of its idea... And actually, because of various different things, because of COVID, um, it got delayed. And so we didn't record it. We was, it was, you know, so that sort of thing happens. So deadlines move. Yeah. As well. But if, I mean, has has lockdown, the, the lockdowns plural, have they affected the way that you can write or not? No, because we're, I mean, I think this is what's always interesting about being a writer is that we are indoors anyway. Yeah. <laughs> 90% of the time. And you found that you can keep your concentration because I know lots of people who can't. Mine is, is kind of half what it should be, I think, right really? now. Yeah, I was just worrying about everybody else, actually. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm okay, but I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the world is not in a great place right now. And I think I find it's changed, down. changed what we're going to write about. Yeah. You know, it. I kind of it makes you go, oh, what about that and the idea? And you think, well, no one wants to know about that. <laughs> Nobody wants a kind of you know adaptation of this story about plagues or something. Do you know what I mean? Or maybe they do. I don't know. But yeah, um, to a certain extent, you it affects what you're then thinking you'd want to write. Right. Because a lot of the time, you know, I'm thinking, oh, well, what world do I want to go into? Yes. You know? Yes. I, I remember that feeling. Of course, I'm not going to have that for years now. <laughs> but I did have it four years leading up to this. Um, and uh, so, yeah, now I, I know what I'm doing for the, the next, certainly, four or five years, which is really nice. But um, but yes, I mean, for the, the two years leading up to having my, my queen idea, um, I had so many. And each one I think, oh, yeah, this is what I wanted to do. And then and then it wasn't quite right. It can be. Yeah, that that can be quite sort of scary and exhausting. Do you mean it wasn't? You didn't think it was your idea? What was the? I I didn't think that it would hook people the way that I really wanted to hook them. But you knew with the Queen idea that that was the hook instantly. Yeah, I had no confidence at all that I could do it justice. And I knew that there were many ways of doing it really badly, <laughs> but yeah. I did know that if somebody were to do it well, it would work. Because it's so easy to describe, um, yeah. and and I yeah I mean it's it, going back to this thing of sometimes you just have a few moments to hook somebody in and convince them that a project's going to be a good idea, and I felt mm. that that would be a really easy one for people to get their head around. But then you have to write it. But then you have to write it, <laughs> <laughs> and that took years as well. And you've got to write five of them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that that's the big yeah yeah. It's about whether or not it's what interests you, isn't it? So. I want to be in that world of Rogers yeah. and Hart and Hammerstein. Yes. I want to be on Broadway in 1941. Yes. You know, I want to live that life, you know, for a bit. I mean, I did Andy Warhol. The BBC were doing a pop art season and they asked me if I'd do something for 
um, that. And I thought, well, you've got to do Warhol, haven't you, really? And he's got massive life, you know, so yeah. you have to choose. And I remember looking and going, oh, gosh, well, that's the most exciting times, the 70s. You know? Yes. The whole Studio 54. And you think, I'm going to go. to stu- This is this is my <laughs> chance to go to Studio 54 yeah. and like live that life. And you live that life for, you know, three months or whatever. No, I absolutely agree. It, yeah, it's got to be something that you you want to sort of live through heart and soul. Um, just talking about um, getting into Rosenhart and Hammerstein reminds me of the Dorothy problem. I love mm. the Dorothy problem that you had. Um, just the, oh, the fascinating yeah, the side of writing for radio. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that would never have crossed my mind. But yeah. at least two of the men were married to a woman called Dorothy. Is yes. That right? So um, Rogers is married to a woman called Dorothy. And <laughs> Hammerstein's wife is also called Dorothy. And Hart's sister was called Dorothy. And they were all quite influential women in their lives, but you just couldn't have three Dorothys. You can't have three Dorothys. Especially in the thing about musicals, it would have just no, it's ridiculous. Just a so I kept Dorothy Rogers. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> and I got, sadly, sorry, Dorothy Hamstein, but you're not in it. And Hart, actually, he had a best friend and agent who's called Doc Bender. And yes. he is a big part of it for the reasons we become apparent. Yes, we're, we're not spoiling here, yeah. but yes. Yeah, in the in the play. he And actually, he represented a much more honest side of heart. So that's why I was able to go with him. But at first glance, when you're reading the stories and you're really, really reading, and I read everything. So when I research something, I'm, I try and read. You just read and read and read. And yes. Read. Um, and if there's an archive, you can go into an archive and things like that. And I just was like, oh, my God, they're all. the archive is interesting because again it's it's 90 minutes of someone's life to listen to this Mm. and and you can't actually fit that many words into 90 minutes I mean I'm reading the screenplay now and absolutely Mm. loving it but there aren't that many words on a page and to think of how much research you've done and and how much I mean it really is tip of the iceberg stuff Mm. isn't it but do you find, I mean, I found when I was writing about women artists that the, the fewer number of words I was given to write, like 400 mm. words for each artist, the more I had to know. So I knew which yeah. were the right 400. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, you do the same amount of research for 45 minute drama as you do for 90. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, how you write it is completely different, but it's the same amount of research. And what was really interesting with doing The National when I did the three plays about the National Theatre you know, and that was like really research heavy. You know, I read everything. I went to the archives of the National. I went to the archives of British Library. You know, I read every biography, every diary. And I wrote play one, play two, and then I got to play three. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is so much work. Yeah. There was a point where I just thought, oh, wow, this is so much work. So what did you do? Just got on with it. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that's why I love talking to you. But I have my moments where I think, oh, I can't quite be bothered today. I think, no, what would Sarah do? Sarah would just sit <laughs> just down and do it. Get on with it. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, that was hard. Because you hit a wall really after, you know, because you, I had to write Laurence Olivier. I had to write yeah. Ken Tynan. I had to write Peter Hall. I had to write, you know, all the, I had to write Harold Pinter. And I knew Harold Pinter a bit we worked together very briefly when I was at the National Theatre just after it, so I knew him a bit. But you know, you've got to really absorb. It's like being a medium. Mm-hmm. You've got to really absorb. I'm sure you're going through this with the with the Queen. I am. <laughs> you have to sort of let them. It's like Ghost. You know that film Ghost, where she's yeah. kind of letting you know yeah. these characters live in her and everything. You know, it's it's like that. They have to 
live get into you so that you can then write how they talk yes you know absolutely and get their little quirks and you know that Lawrence Olivier called everyone baby you know you need to, <laughs> to get all of that down yeah um so I have a sort of a basic question for you which mm. is if someone's thinking of getting into screenwriting or writing for radio um, but let's bring TV back into this. Mm. Where do you think they should start? We've already mentioned Writers' Room mm -hmm. for, for the BBC, mm -hmm. but um, you've talked to me about Channel 4 and things as well. Yeah. You? So Channel 4 run a course every year, yeah. run by Phil Shelley. And he, uh, uh, they do a screenwriting course there. And you write, let me just have to really try and remember what it is you write. You Because I've done a couple of things like that. You write <clears throat> a pilot for a tv show okay like a channel 4 tv show yes and you get help you have a script editor and all that kind of thing yeah and you develop that over uh, a number of months and you also get to meet industry people and really great writers come in and talk about the process and you know you get to you you get to meet really interesting people who are working tv and production companies come in and if you don't have an agent you will get an agent by the end of it what a fantastic oh, it's, chance. It's, wow. it's really great you should know that the thing i wrote on that was crap <laughs> <laughs> though okay so it can be really good but you know i didn't write anything that was any good um which was fine because that happens i guess uh but then i entered a competition called coming up i don't even remember there used to be a slot on channel four called coming up where they right. do these films and they were short films originally there were sort of little 20 minute things and one year they decided to do they said they would commission one 90 minute film that would go out on channel four mm -hmm. and so i entered that competition and i got down to the last three with that <gasps> yeah so i wrote a 90 minute feature it didn't get made that's tv but you know it i did get you did get, get a script commission and you got all the support that you needed for all of that. Yes. And off the back of that, I then did get a deal with Channel 4 to write a um, a TV series for them. Wonderful. And what's happening with that? Uh, not a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> because, you you know, it's all in development and yeah, that you development know, it kind of gets, gets yes. you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but it shows how one project leads to another. So oh, yeah, definitely. One project definitely leads to another. I think what's the difference is, I suppose, when we're talking about writing and you're writing a novel and then you're writing a screenplay or radio play is, I guess, unless you're going to do it yourself in your front room or something. So if you're going to make it your short film or whatever, yeah. you need other people to do it. So it's kind of get, finding those people that you can have relationships with. Yes. So producers or production companies or channels or commissioners you're really reliant, really, on those relationships, aren't you? Interesting. Yes. It's so different from novel writing. Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, you get those. You get kind of get given them at the end of the process, but you don't need them during it. And I get the impression that we go through an awful lot more drafts as well, don't we? Uh, in as screenwriters. Of... Like, you're talking 40-odd drafts for a... For a, a, a and what, I think it was Michaela Carlson's 40 drafts. Was I it? think it was more. Was it, it was more, more than that? Yes. Yeah. Um, crazy. I know I love that so much. I've been talking about Michaela <laughs> yeah. Cole recently. Um, yes. Um, well, I, I think that depends because, um, yeah, you'll get some writers who, I was listening to somebody again on the radio yesterday, I think, talking about doing two. Um, for, 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 for a, a screenplay? For a, for, no, for a novel. 
Oh, um, but, but other I was going to say two drafts or a screenplay. What? No, but other novelists who will do many, many, many. Yeah, so yes, okay. it's, it's a much broad spectrum, I think. Whereas you guys just write a lot. Um, you get a lot of notes, especially yes. in TV. You don't not. I mean, in radio, you you have less. Yeah. You do. I mean, I, you certainly wouldn't do forty-two drafts for a radio drama. Yeah. That doesn't happen. There isn't the time. Mm. You know. Um, whereas with TV, the development time can be quite depending on who has commissioned your script. It can be quite long, a long process. Does that make sense? Because sometimes in uh, actual production companies commission your script. Yes. And so therefore there is a little, they want to get it perfect before it goes to the channel. Yes. And then the channel have their notes. Yes. You and then you start on over again. And you start on over again. <laughs> it's a completely different character. Yeah, I think I I love the idea of doing that, but I, I would struggle, I think, because it's kind of, it's not yours, is it? It is, uh, it is a team production by the end by the time so many people have had their involvement with it and and that could be a wonderful thing if you all go heading in the same direction or not it depends a who thing. you are i'd say as well yeah you know if yeah. you're you know there are writers on a different level to me obviously in tv <laughs> who maybe get they don't do force two drafts yes you know? they say this is how it is yes <laughs> so you know they, they're kind of running the thing and also there's a time element as well yeah i think once time starts getting involved when it's sort of like oh god we've got to get this on because it's scheduled for this then there is less time for you're laughing about thank you yeah 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 yes um right okay we're near the end of our time um and you've already given lots of tips and i particularly like this this just read listen to a lot of examples of the kind of thing you want to do I think that's wonderful um do you have any others that you would want to give to somebody who's thinking of going into well any any form of writing really well the the big one is don't get it right get it written isn't it yes absolutely good thank you for that one um I've got a quick fire round for you oh so um getting my paperwork out here radio or tv radio one-off or series? One-off. UK or US? Oh, that's really hard. I couldn't choose. You mean in terms of what I would like to write? Yes. Oh, it changes. This is a really interesting question. Okay. And just to expand on it. Also, you should know that when you write in American, it's faster on the radio than oh, UK speech. Oh, my goodness. That's so, so interesting. So always allow yourself an extra 1,000 words if it's American. <laughs> I love that. So much faster. It's just a much faster sort of speech pattern. Yeah. So you need to remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ah, I sort of feel like my freedom is in the US. I kind of feel like, I don't know why, but I feel freer when I write in American. Okay. So I've done lots of American stuff. I've only ever adapted American novels. Yes. For radio. Yeah. I do a lot of American. US. (laughs) Come on. Come on. I'm going to say US. (laughs) Um, tea or coffee? Tea. And rich tea or hobnob? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what, what would be your, your snack of choice? Um, mm, olives. Uh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Sorry, I sound like Same a weirdo girl. girl. <laughs> no, not at all. You sound like a very healthy girl. Um, that's it. Thank you so much. It's been really lovely. It's been lovely to talk to you. <laughs> I'd like to thank Christopher Pett for editing and producing this episode of Pre-Published. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. You can also join us on Twitter at Pre-Pub Podcast, and find me at my children's books website, which is sophiabennett.com, or my adult crime series website, which is sjbennettbooks.com. <laughs>